Well, hey, friend. Welcome to Java with Julie, hosted by me, Julie Slattery. Well, we've reached the final special edition bonus episode of our seven-week series, journeying through various keystone topics around God, sex, and intimacy. Throughout this series, we've intentionally worked our way through some of the main questions that people come to us with. Questions about marriage, singleness, talking to kids about sex, healing and trauma, and sexual intimacy. Now on Monday, we heard from President Sprinkle talking about his book, exploring what the Bible says about same-sex marriage. And in today's conversation, we're going to go deeper into the topic of knowing God's heart for our sexuality. A biblical sexual ethic can seem cruel and unloving if we don't have an intimate relationship with God himself. My guest today, Rachel Gilson, has wrestled with the scriptures to understand how God's love is actually expressed in his created design for sexuality. Rachel is a same-sex attracted woman who is married to a man. She's the author of a great book called Born Again This Way. The book is about her coming out story about finding God and embracing who God created her to be. Rachel is honest, kind, she's super smart and funny, and you're going to see this come through in my conversation with her as we wrestle with why we need to go deeper in understanding of God's heart for our sexuality. Friend, this is an episode that's important for all of us, regardless of what we struggle with. So let's go ahead and join my conversation with Rachel Gilson. I am in Boston with you, Rachel Gilson. I'm also in Boston with yes, you, Julie Slattery. Yeah, and I feel like I know you because we've done a couple interviews through Zoom, but this is the first time I, I got to see you in the flesh. It's the first time we really know how tall each other are. I was wondering you how know, tall you I know, were. it's true. And you're kind of short like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that we're kind of about the same yeah. size. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> but I meet people all the time, they're like, oh, I thought you were taller. I'm like, nah. Yeah, it's just my giant personality, right? Yeah, and Zoom, you can look really tall. That's right. Yeah, but I, I'm visiting my son here in Boston, and you live about five miles Yeah, away. five miles and 45 minutes of traffic, right. depending on the day. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm like, hey, Let's get lunch, have Java, and turn on the microphone. Actually do it. That's right. Yeah. So you hear background music, and that's because we are in a hotel lobby. It's hard to find a coffee shop here in Boston <laughs> that is open with COVID. That's right. Yeah. But Rachel, I've had a couple conversations with you. Like I said, Zoom interviewed you, and always just been fascinated by your brain. and. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it sound like you're going to cut me open. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the psychologists have a unique way of cutting that's you right, open, right? That's right. But you just have such an articulate way of explaining things. Uh, and your story is amazing. And we'll link to the podcast episode that we did about a year ago uh, where we talked about your book, Born Again This Way, yep. where you told more of your story. Yep. Um, but today we're going to kind of switch gears and talk about some of the work that you're doing with crew and working with college students, you're on their theology team and some of the cutting edge issues that that is bringing out. That's right. Yeah. So what is college life like these days? (laughs) Well, it it involves a lot of mask wearing. Yes. Uh (laughs) But especially in place like Boston, you know, on the ground, college is such a great place to be thinking about new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think the further we get away from Christendom or, you know, Boston just, we're like the second least church city in the country Mm. after Providence, Rhode Island. Wow. So there, there's some places in the country where you still have most people maybe who are going to church or that's Mm -hmm. a very typical experience in this area of the country. It's much more common to never have been churched. Yeah. And so even if you're coming in from another place, you're coming in, you know, you're going to MIT, you're going to BU, you're going to these heady, thoughtful schools. It's an opportunity to maybe slip into a different mindset for the first time. Hmm. Maybe whether you want to or not, it's almost, yeah. uh, it's almost like, oh, I've, I've just never been confronted by this before. I was actually talking to a freshman at BU on the phone yesterday. And she was talking with me just about some questions she's had about sexuality that she never really had to think about before because she grew up in rural Virginia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had a great experience in rural Virginia. And her parents are amazing it's, uh, Christians. And she feels really strong in the faith. But she came out to be you. And she's like, oh, like the way that people talk, 
about sexuality here, the way that they wear it here is just kind of confusing to me. Like <laughs> she was almost like, why is everyone making such a big deal about this? Like yeah. it, it's like it comes up. Like, how do you identify? This mm-hmm. is how I identify. Mm-hmm. Very, like, forward. And she was like, am I supposed to be doing that? Is it okay to, like... Mm-hmm. Pre- well, well you've really so got a combination of two things. You've got the region of the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the college age. Yeah, which exactly. this is the issue uh, right now. Yeah, well, it's like, if you're not talking about sexuality, then you're talking about racial justice. Right. And... Both of these issues are deeply pressing on college students. And both Mm -hmm. these issues, frankly, are really important as Christians in today's society as well. So the questions that college students are asking are very welcome, but the contexts can be confusing sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Because they're asking questions, but not necessarily getting (laughs) the kinds of answers that are going to steer them towards truth. Yeah, or... Even when I was talking to this girl yesterday, it almost felt like she wasn't even sure if she was allowed to ask certain questions. It almost felt like, well, actually, here's just a different orthodoxy that maybe she needed to fall in line with. And sort of like, is what do I, am I allowed to not fall into like that line of thinking? Like, I don't know. It, you know, she was understanding, really, she started understanding at the end of high school, oh, I am actually attracted to both men and women. That's a little weird. How do I process those things? We were talking about some of that. And she was like, I, I kind of feel at school, like, if that's true, mm-hmm. then I'm supposed to make that a big part of my identity. Yeah. Do I have to? Like, is it okay if I don't? Is it okay if, like, even some people maybe don't know, not because I'm hiding it, but just it doesn't seem relevant? And I was trying to tell her, yeah, actually, it's fine. It doesn't, there are a lot more interesting things about you, too. Like, this is an important part of your experience. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be the only part. And so that's just, it was interesting hearing from her, you know, 19-year-old girl, kind of already over how hyped up LGBT identity stuff has been getting on her campus. Yeah. Which is well, kind of funny. You, when you think about the traditional model of the university, it was to bring all the ideas in yeah. so that you can dialogue and be challenged. Yeah. And now we've moved to university being the place where there's only a certain element of yeah, dialogue. It's hard to find actual variety sometimes not always there's pockets of it but Mm -hmm. yeah maybe not as much as sometimes you hope Mm -hmm. so nowadays it's not like in the university it's bringing all the ideas it almost feels like it's if you don't agree with this ideology then you're out you got to keep that quiet yeah you got to keep quiet about it so there's like even for example a couple years ago we were like hey why don't we do a our Bible study, our weekly Bible study for freshmen, why don't we do it in the dining hall? That way we could potentially invite people in. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. come, you can see people. And you notice like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, it feels a little dangerous to say those things out loud in such a public space. You could just tell the difference of like, it feels maybe a little more taboo. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, Mm -hmm. which you don't want to make students feel uncomfortable, right? So like, if you, if you don't like that idea, that's fine. But if you're only ever talking about spiritual things in quiet, closed off spaces, then it is hard to actually let the gospel mix with other ideas. Right. Um, which yeah. is, I think, a loss for everyone. Because even if someone hears the gospel in college and doesn't want to accept it, you don't know what's going to happen from having heard a compelling presentation, seeing Jesus working in another young person's life mm-hmm. can be powerful even if it doesn't land there. So mm-hmm. we, we really want people to be able mm-hmm. and that's to your story that. You came, yeah. you came like, to Christ in, in college. college. Uh-huh. And it was such a good place because everybody was willing to ask questions, mm-hmm. right? We didn't have to, faith didn't mean not asking questions. Mm-hmm. Faith was just a place in which to branch out and explore different things mm-hmm. although I do think through different service opportunities or things like that we are able to have really fun conversations with people who've maybe never heard the gospel before so like uh, sometimes we'll do these service trips in Boston and we'll have covered Muslims we'll have atheists we'll have all kinds of people come along with us because they want to do these good works together Mm-hmm. And then we can build relationship and we can all see like, hey, we're not as weird as we thought we were, you know, not yes. as alienated. So there's, I don't want to make college sound like, oh, it's this draconian shove down all opposition thing. There is, there is some fear. There is some hiding, but 
when you do get those natural connections, it's still this really exciting place to be. You know, Mm -hmm. people aren't, they're not closed off from each other once they put their phones down and look into each other's eyes. Well, there are so many aspects of Christianity and the gospel that are attractive in our world today. I think so, yeah. When you talk about having a servant heart, when you talk about a care for the poor and the oppressed and the immigrant, there are a lot of things that truly align racial unity. Uh, You know, that's all. I mean, that flows straight out of the Bible. And what's really interesting is when you're actually able to talk with someone, maybe someone who doesn't know Christ, but feels in their bones that humans were created equal. Yeah. You're like, you know where you actually got that feeling? It's like the remnants of Christianity still in the bloodstream of our culture. Because if you go into your worldview and open up that drawer, you're like, ooh, I've got no basis to believe this, even though I deeply do. Mm -hmm. When you see in the gospel, like, actually every single one of us is made in the image of God, suddenly you have this firm footing. It makes sense why this would be so real. So I think taking advantage of those gospel hooks because we're made in God's image. So like the things that we long for, even if they end up counterfeit, they somehow link to who God is. You know, we can find those those doorways in. That's Mm -hmm. the fun stuff of college ministry. So even my friend who I was talking to, who's kind of feeling like, wow, the way that we make a big deal out of sexuality on the campus feels a little off, but it still connects to the fact that God designed sexuality to be so powerful for a reason. So, mm-hmm. of course, we're going <laughs> to, we mess it up because we're fallen. But still, it's such a good, powerful thing. And that's part of why it's so big in people's windshields. Mm-hmm. So, it's not trying to overcorrect and be like, we shouldn't talk about it because it's shameful. We're trying to consistently set our things in the right orbit. Yeah. Well, when we talk about the attractiveness of Christianity and the gospel, that is one subject where we kind of hit a brick wall <laughs> because yeah. all of a sudden, as soon as we say that God created male and female, that he designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, that sexual expression is reserved for marriage. Right. Now we are swimming upstream big time. Yeah. It's not even so much that it's not a position someone would prefer, it now even feels in certain circles immoral to say oh, those it things. Is. And it's widening circles. Yeah, um, widening circles. So that's a strange position for Christians to be in in our country. Like for so long, the normal biblical view of gender and sexuality just was the general view, even if you didn't right. have a you know mm-hmm. authentic relationship yeah. with the Savior. But now it's so different. Christians don't know what to do. No. It's just like, well, uh, but this is true, but you think I'm a bad person for believing it? Yes. Ooh. And when you have seen people who theoretically hold to those views, but treat other people terribly, of course, then you get this interjection of doubt. Like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. If they technically believe that, but they're a bunch of jerks. Yes. And they're (laughs) hypocrites. And they're hypocrites. Where... They may not be gay, they may not be transgender, but their sex lives are a mess. A total mess. Hidden pornography. Abuse um, of other yeah. people or covering up other people's abuse. Yes. Yeah, um, it doesn't take doesn't take too long to find hypocrisy, unfortunately, in the church. Right. So so this is the challenge, Rachel. We know that it's going to get more and more difficult for Christians to maintain that standard of biblical sexuality and be a winsome representative of Christ. Well, it will become more and more difficult if we try to do it the way we've always been doing it. Okay. So tell me how we need to and do I, it differently. My guess is you'll agree with me. I don't, maybe that may be premature, but I, it feels like a lot of what has happened in the past couple generations is that the main way to talk about sexuality was to just chant the word no. Yes. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. And then to think the only safe way to deal with this is to get married. Right. So no honest conversation about the difficulties that can happen in marriage Mm -hmm. and certainly no positive vision for singleness. Mm -hmm. That has generally been the way we've talked about it, which Mm -hmm. has totally misrepresented God's sexual ethic to God's people. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, 
if that's the way we're trying to hold it, it's going to fall apart in our hands because like, it's not from the Lord anyway. It's like pseudo from the Lord. Yeah. Takes a couple things from him, but then smushes it all together with like Disney movies and weird cultural cues and tries to present it as something biblical. And it's just kind of a little bit of a mess. It makes me think of when Jesus talked about you're clinging to the traditions of man. Yep. And a lot of our traditional way of talking about sex has been more about tradition. That's just been the way we've done it. Yeah. yeah, That can be based on some scriptures, but it's not balanced. Yeah. So, well, and uh, so much of the church for so long, we didn't have to have a theological reason to make an argument that marriage was male, female only. Mm. It was sort of obvious that marriage was male, female only. And so then you can just talk about what does it mean in the most, in a healthy way would be like, what does it mean for us to actually disciple ourselves to obey so Mm -hmm. that we are chased before marriage and chased within marriage? That would be the good version, right? But since we didn't have a theological reason to believe that marriage was male-female, we just believed it sort of intuitively, uh, we don't know how to go back to our scriptures and actually show why marriage is Mm male-female, or really to show why marriage is faithful, Mm -hmm. or why marriage should be a a natural place for starting new families, or like all these things we don't, if they weren't theological to begin with, and then we become biblically illiterate, which we have, we look down, we try to find a foundation for what we've believed, and it's like when Wiley Coyote looks down and realizes he's just standing on air, and only at that moment does he fall. I feel like yeah. that's what a lot of people in churches are going through. They're like, I've been walking along, and I didn't realize I wasn't walking on anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not because nothing was there, but it's usually because they were just under-equipped. Mm-hmm. Well, the church hasn't told the story of God and sex. We've only recited the rules. Yeah, and I think... It's hard, too, because I don't want to, like, heap shame on church leaders like, you could have given this to us, and you didn't. No. Every age has its own needs to look back at the Bible and discover the treasures that are there, right? So, in the first couple hundred years of Christianity, the church didn't have this robust doctrine of Christ because you kind of didn't need one yet. There was just sort of an automatic, like, Jesus is Lord, Mm -hmm. and then questions from the perimeter, these heresies came in and said, well, actually, we need to go back to the texts and be more clear about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, like, we didn't really need a written ecclesiology in the Dark Ages because the church just sort of was the church. Yeah. And then the Protestant Reformation happens, and suddenly, different groups of people go back to the text and say, wait a minute, we actually need to see what the Bible is telling us about what church is. People came up with different answers, right? But we just haven't had to ask these types of questions about sex and gender of our texts yes. before. We just haven't had to ask them. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that we haven't maybe taught them in ways that are ready for this moment because we just didn't have to do it before. Right. To me, that's what's exciting about this moment. Like, I don't look forward and think like, oh, it's going to be doom and gloom and Christianity is going to disappear. The gospel does great in all climates because it's the truth. Mm. And God is able to save everybody through the gospel. It's so if the culture looks less like Christianity, well, then the gospel just stands out in brighter contrast. Hmm. 60 years ago, it was of no missional value for me to be a married woman in Boston raising a child. Mm -hmm. Actually, as time goes on, there will be missional value to me being one woman who's married to one man raising a child in Boston. That Mm -hmm. will start to look increasingly at least interesting mm-hmm. or at least unique as people decide to co-parent without being married or tr- decide to get into polyamorous relationships. Polyamorous relationships were just protected in Somerville, which is just a town over here in Boston during COVID. Mm-hmm. Or someone like me who experiences same-sex attraction deciding to enter into a heterosexual marriage. Like all these things. Are you getting asked those questions, both in your neighborhood, but also in your work of why are you doing what you're doing? I get asked in my neighborhood. It's not like, you know, when you're watching your kids at the park and you're standing next Mm -hmm. to the mom, it's not like I lean over and be like, by the way, I'm attracted to women. Like that's that's not the way. But (laughs) I don't really like small talk. So whatever I'm I'm talking to, I like to ask deep questions. And so as we get to know each other's lives, they, you know, we ask one of the first questions you ask, right, is what do you do? 
Yeah. So that pretty easily leads into like what I do. How do you describe what you do? So yeah, I, sometimes I'll say, well, I'm a chaplain at colleges because that'll give people a hook because they'll understand. And like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I, I do evangelism and discipleship. But now actually, since I've moved onto the national theological team for crew, right, I'll say like, well, I do a lot of reading and writing about biblical sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, makes people go, really? Yeah. Because around here... They're picturing like some strange caricature of the Puritans, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Salem witch wearing trials your, or wearing your pilgrim shoes. Yeah, and that's pilgrim. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so I found most people really just want to hear, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so then we can chat about it in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's super fun. You know, I've had a ton of my friends in my neighborhood read my book. I was joking with one of my probably my closest friend. Um, she's a not really practicing Jewish woman. And I was like, hey, you just read a theology book. She's like, I know, I feel so proud of myself. <laughs> That's cool. But it's like, it's really fun to actually use sexuality as a gateway into the gospel when it's happening because we're thinking about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So not the gateway of like, hey, I need you to know that God has certain things to say about our body and you need to agree with those before I share the gospel with you. But actually through the gateway of the way Christopher West tells mm-hmm. it, right? It's yep. like our bodies tell God's story. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. People haven't necessarily heard about the mm-hmm. gospel in that way. What do you think is more difficult? Talking to somebody who has no knowledge of Christianity, so you're sharing the gospel and talking about some of these sexual issues, or someone who has grown up in the church and has kind of moved away from Orthodox Christianity is more progressive and Jesus would love everybody. The Bible can be looked at as supporting LGBT stuff. Yeah, yeah. What is more of the challenge? I find it more challenging to talk to the person who has left the church. Mm -hmm. And maybe partially that's because before I became a Christian, I was like a pretty hardcore atheist. So like I jam that tune. I'm like, yeah, man, I totally get that mind frame. Like I can almost put it on again, like an old pair of jeans that still fit. I'm like, Mm -hmm. right, I can get into your, so I can talk there. I was never a church kid. Yeah. So I've kind of had to learn almost like an anthropologist, (laughs) what, what being a church kid was like. Mm -hmm. And I find that some people in that category were really hurt. Yeah, many were. Many were. And some people are really angry mm-hmm. and sometimes really legitimately angry. Mm-hmm. And so before we're actually able to talk about the scriptures, there's a lot of other things that really need to be addressed and healed. Can you play that out with me? Like, let's say, I mean, I think we hear this all the time that we are looking at people in their 20s and 30s who grew up in the church, they've moved away from either Christianity altogether or they've moved into progressive Christianity. You encounter them. They know what you write and teach about LGBT. (laughs) They Googled me, yeah. Yeah. And and they come with hurt and anger. So how do you not just react to the anger and get in an argument with them? How do you move towards getting past it? One thing I think that helps me is I'm not really the arguing type. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also really respect, people are rarely angry for no reason. Mm -hmm. Even if maybe they misunderstood something that happened, I don't want to assume that. I want to go in assuming they're angry for a good reason Mm -hmm. and it's worth listening to what happened. Because I've heard enough stories. I was talking to one girl who was new staff with crew a few years ago who hadn't really told anyone about her experience of same-sex attraction. She was a little girl, and she knew she wanted to grow up and be a missionary. You know, they'd Mm -hmm. have the conservative church, and they'd have the missionaries come in, and she'd be like, I want to do that. Mm. But then she would also hear from the pulpit uh, her pastor and others basically say, not just basically, but specifically say, people are gay because they choose to be gay, and they choose to be gay because they hate God. Mm. Wow. That is so damaging. Because that girl 
loves Jesus, you know, in the way that like nine, 10 year old girls yeah. like can love. It's this very pure, beautiful thing. The kind of love that Jesus talked about. The, the children kind of love to that the Jesus of God. even commends to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to realize in that weird, terrible phase of puberty that actually the way that her friends feel about boys is maybe how she feels about girls and goes through years of tormented self-questioning. Like I've learned that people only feel this way if they hate God. Mm -hmm. And I think I love God. So am I lying to myself? Is Satan deceiving me? Like the amount of internal scarring that happens when we talk about people and topics in ways that God does not talk about people or topics, like it destroys good work that he wants to do. Mm. Now, when I was talking to her, she wasn't angry, but she was hurt. It wasn't necessarily really the time to dig into the scriptures together. It was just a time to hear, to cry together and Mm -hmm. to process. Mm -hmm. Now, she's also a different example because she had managed to hold on to her faith. And part of the reason she held on to is because the first minister that she told about her same-sex attraction was so warm and inviting and said, I'm so glad that you told me. Thank you for trusting me with that. Whatever you need, I'm glad to talk about it with you. Like, didn't push her away, didn't treat her as weird. Mm -hmm. Just said, like, I'm so glad you felt comfortable sharing that. Like, let's, let's continue to do discipleship together. And it actually gave her a space... I mean, she thought the world was going to come crashing around her head. Yeah. Hmm. Now, if that conversation had gone bad, who knows what would have happened? I think there's so much that hangs when you take that kind of risk, like the reaction that you get. Yeah. And the person coming out, right, what they're not... That first 30 seconds, they're not worried, what does this person think about God's view of sexuality? They are worried, what does this person think about me? Mm-hmm. And any of us could be in that situation. Any of, of us. Of being that first responder. Yep. And, and you don't necessarily know if you are or not. Yeah. yeah. How about uh, the Christian, and there are so many, I've met many, who are living in a gay relationship mm-hmm. or living with bisexuality or actively questioning gender, yeah. but truly say that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm a Christian. Yeah. I've been saved by him. Yeah. There are a lot of people within the conservative church would say, well, that can't be true. You can't be a Christian and be living this way. Right. And so there's a choice of, well, then either I'm not a Christian or I have to find a church who recognizes me. To me, this is actually the hardest conversation. Someone mm-hmm. who professes Christ mm-hmm. and also is saying, look, I, I'm i in this loving relationship. I feel God's presence here. Mm-hmm. It's just like any other relationship. We were faithful. Mm-hmm. We serve God together. And it's really complicated. Ethical issues are really complicated because they're not quite the same as like, well, do you uh, affirm or deny that Jesus is Lord? Yeah, <laughs> like that, right. There's some questions in the Christian faith that like are pretty good at weeding out whether you're not a Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when it comes to ethical issues, we can get really messed up. So I'm never interested in playing salvation police. Mm. I'm not interested in weeding through the world and saying, you're really a Christian, you're not. You're really a Christian, you're not. Yeah. Um, If someone claims Christ, I want to take them seriously. Mm -hmm. If they say, like, I belong to Jesus, then that puts them in a different category and say, okay, then you are my sister and we are responsible to each other. And when it comes to what God says about our bodies, well, let's look at the scriptures together. Now, if I just meet somebody, I'm not going to be like, let's pull out and do a Bible study, right? There's totally, your different levels of relationship invite different levels of conversation. Yeah. But if someone is claiming Christ, I'm always going to take that seriously mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, let's, like Preston Sprinkle loves to use the question, what is your definition of marriage and where did you get it from? Hmm. Uh, that made it sound more aggressive than the way Preston asked it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great way to start, right? Yeah. And I'm going to say, okay. And ultimately, sometimes... We don't end up agreeing, and I do think it's a break fellowship issue. Mm, Why? Uh, When Paul was talking to the Corinthians about that church member who Mm -hmm. was in a sexual relationship with what seemed like his stepmother, it was a break fellowship issue. Mm -hmm. The sexual ethics was. It was like, we can't 
we can't fellowship together while this is, we need to actually practice church discipline for the sake of loving him. Mm-hmm. Church discipline's hard when you can just go find another church to go and yeah. believe in. But I don't think that means it's useless. It talks about in Hebrews 3, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of us might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's the thing about sin is it lies to us. Mm -hmm. And so if at some point we've dug into our positions, I'm not sure right now that we can do a lot of gospel work together if we're coming down in different issues here. Mm -hmm. So is it not agreeing with the scripture on this issue that is the matter? And the reason that I ask this is because if we talk about sin, we all have break fellowship issues. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are people that live in greed who, (laughs) yeah, you know, live for money and yep. um, give their tithe to the church, but we'd say that could be a break fellowship issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are Christians who have been through three or four divorces. Well, and I think our our general laxness on divorce yeah. has opened a big door into our hypocrisy when it comes to sexual ethics and all other issues. So why do we say that being in a gay relationship is a break fellowship issue where a secret addiction to pornography or leaving a marriage because I fell out of love. Uh, That's where I think people are really wrestling with this is. And it's a good wrestle too. I honestly think it's one thing to say, I'm still in process. I don't know what the scriptures say. I don't think that's a break fellowship issue, Mm -hmm. but when we're coming to the scriptures and we're both fully convinced the scriptures say opposite things, Mm -hmm. I don't think we can function in the same body when it comes to our culture right now. Have you consistently seen that people who come to the scriptures and they see that God is affirming of LGBT relationships, that they're also letting go of other core doctrines, like uh, maybe the inerrancy of the Bible, the sinfulness of our flesh? Like, it seems to me that when you let go of what the Bible's saying about gender, you're watering down, like I've talked to Christians who will say, well, Paul was misogynist and we have to take what he wrote with a grain of salt and really we we really only can look at Jesus's words everything else is kind of a commentary around that and so they're watering everything else down you're the only I don't think you're the only one who's noticed that and what here's what's interesting that I've noticed up until about five years ago the only people trying to say that the Bible affirmed same-sex relationships were also people who generally had a lower view of the Bible than Mm -hmm. evangelicals Mm mm-hmm so you might think of uh, William Loder, who's like the world expert on ancient sexuality. Mm. Like nobody knows more than Bill Loder, basically. I've never heard of him. Oh, yeah. So he's a scholar. You know, okay. he's not like he doesn't write popular yeah. books or whatever. And he says, oh, well, the Bible's clear. It prohibits same-sex relationships. But yeah. Christians don't need to rely on the Bible in all ways for Christianity. Like it, he has a, a very tradition, like a, a typical liberal Christian view of the Bible's helpful, but not totally authoritative mm-hmm. it's a guide it's among a many guide, other guides. right so mm-hmm. what's newer in the past five years is people who are trying to make an evangelical argument for mm-hmm. same-sex relationships who are trying mm-hmm. who actually have a very high view of scripture mm-hmm. the way to get to an affirming view is very different from a high view of scripture and i think always involves some type of abuse of scripture mm-hmm. because the scripture is really clear yeah. Now, I, actually, that sentence probably will upset some people because they're saying it's not really clear because uh, there are translation issues around the word homosexuality or mm-hmm. any of the different things you could cycle through. But at the end of the day, you have to do a lot of gymnastics to get to an affirming view right. with a high view of scripture. Mm-hmm. I don't love dealing in absolutes, so I don't know that you know every person who professes Christ who holds an affirming view is automatically going to give up. Right all these other things but it is always dangerous to call what god says is evil to call it good Mm. Mm -hmm. so i would even ask sometimes i get asked you know like why can't we just agree to disagree and on some level like i can't make anyone agree with what the bible says but we should never be satisfied with compromise like this often comes from younger people too who are very sensitive to the sin of white supremacy yeah and i would say okay so if you have someone who's professing Christ, who's like clearly a white supremacist, would you just say, well, it's just a, it's just agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. It's just a cultural thing. It's just a cultural thing. You know, mm-hmm. like actually 
shouldn't we all be calling each other to repent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing about affirming same-sex relationships is it's super popular right now. It's never been popular in the history of the church because it's not what the Bible teaches, even though homosexuality has existed yeah. for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it's not popular in other areas of the world right now. This is a super Western brand new thing. Mm-hmm. So doesn't that make you a little suspicious? Like if it doesn't agree with the global church and the historic church, that's not what makes something true. Yeah. But it should inject a little bit of doubt. And so we look back on, you know, even heroes of the faith like uh, Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield, and we want to excuse away the fact that they own slaves. We shouldn't, right? We should right. be able to say like, we're like, oh, they were just people of their times. You're like, it's still an error. Mm-hmm. It's still an error to buy and sell human beings. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't want us to be in a position where we disagree with scripture because we happen to be in a time that was out of step with scripture. Mm. How are you navigating that? Again, let's go back to the beginning of our conversation, the context that you're living in here in Boston, you're working with a college ministry with very intellectual young people who are questioning everything who have bought into identity politics and my experience is the most important thing. And here you hold this traditional view. (laughs) Yeah. How do you navigate that in real life uh, without just shutting people down? I think one of the ways I want to not shut people down, I want to be interested in where they are in thinking about these things. If they ask me to tell them what I see in the scriptures, I am glad to do it. Yeah. But my posture often with young college students is I want to set the table for them so that I can give them space to explore for themselves because nobody can live off of the fumes of someone else's conviction. Hmm. And I part love of that. <laughs> I love how you said that. <laughs> like part of what has happened is some of them have just said like, well, my really smart pastor thinks this or my mom thinks this, so I, I'm going to think it. And then they go off to college and they're lost a little bit. Yeah. So it's not going to be helpful for me to just come in and be the new version of their mom or their smart pastor. Mm-hmm. What actually will help both the non-believer and the believer is if we sit with the scriptures open. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of, we're doing both text to context and context to text, right? So we're going to have moments where like, let's look at the book of Ephesians because it's a great book. Yeah. There's also going to be moments in discipleship where like, tell me the things that you're wondering about. Mm-hmm. let's think about how do we figure out if the Bible has anything to say about that. Mm-hmm. Rarely are adults or our youth taught theological method. Mm-hmm. Probably the phrase theological method itself sounds like foreign and strange, right? Yeah. But what do we do if we don't have a proof text verse on something? Mm-hmm. Does the Bible ever talk about marijuana? No. It does not, right? Mm-hmm. Marijuana, recreational marijuana use is legal in Massachusetts. So if I've got a student who's trying to figure out, should I go smoke pot with my friends? And I don't have a Bible verse to go to, but I've only ever been taught to read the Bible like a fortune cookie. <laughs> how in the world am I supposed to do that? Yeah. It's a great place for building theological method. Mm-hmm. I love that. And this is not just for you who work with college students, but it's for us as parents. Yeah. Um, and you had the opportunity before we started recording to meet two of my sons who are... And they told I, me they were the best two. <laughs> they told, yeah. of course, they're going to tell you that. <laughs> but uh, but we're in that stage of yeah. launching and wanting them to have space to work through their own faith. And so, even as you're saying this, I'm taking notes as a parent. <laughs> but the thing that's different for you is you don't have that shocked, scared moment of, oh my goodness, my kid is asking this question, or my kid is wondering about this aspect of morality or Christianity or they're experimenting. And I think that's where as parents, we kind of get, we kind of go into fear mode. I was going to say, actually, the number one emotion that I notice from parents who are ahead of me, because I have a seven-year-old, so I'm mm-hmm. just not in that, not in that phase yet. <laughs> I notice it in parents my age, but for different reasons. But I notice fear, mm-hmm. which frankly is also the number one emotion that Christians tend to have in the LGBT conversation yes. is fear. Mm-hmm. What are we afraid of? Afraid of so many things, right? So some people are afraid of hurting their gay friends. Mm -hmm. Some people are afraid of compromising the truth. 
Some people are afraid of saying anything because they don't know what they even think. Yeah. People are afraid of dishonoring the Lord. People are afraid of being the new version. Like when you look back at those black and white video reels of white people screaming Mm -hmm. as little black kids are trying to just go to school Mm -hmm. and you think, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Right? We don't want to be that person. So much fear in so many directions. And I think parents, it's natural for them to feel a fear about their children. We've seen the statistics. Mm Mm-hmm. Of plenty of church kids go off to college and don't stay in the church. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, maybe you should interview me again in 10 years when <laughs> my daughter's 17, right? Talk a big game while I have a first grader. No, but. it's, it's uh, you know, it's one thing to know the right path intellectually. It's another thing to not be right, overridden by right. your, your feelings. And it's everything you're saying is, is important to hear. But I just think sometimes what will happen is I will be meeting with a 19-year-old girl, mm-hmm. happened a number of times, and suddenly she just feels depressed that she's not farther along in her faith. Or she feels almost a sense of shame that maybe she doesn't know as much about the Bible as she should, or as much she's not easily able to answer the new questions that she has. And I spent some time trying to tell her, like, hey, Tell me when you prayed to receive Christ, right? A lot of times, like when, when I was four or when I was 13. or And like, when you were a six-year-old girl, you had the faith of a six-year-old girl and the Lord looked at you and loved you and you didn't need the faith of a 20-year-old woman because mm-hmm. you were a six-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And when you were 15, you had the faith of a 15-year-old and that's perfectly acceptable. And now you are crossing over into an adulthood. So you're asking new questions. God is not mad at you for asking new questions. Mm -hmm. He's not disappointed at you that you didn't have a 20 year old's faith Mm. before you were 20. Like it's actually completely developmentally normal for you to circle back and maybe ask even some foundational questions again. Cause it's not wrong for an eight year old to be like, I believe the Bible because the trustworthy adults in my life do. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with, with relying on that as an eight-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. But as a 20-year-old in a really rigorous academic setting, it is completely appropriate to be like, you know what? Maybe I need to actually learn where these texts came from. Yeah. And you're not trying to say, because I hate God or because I want to jump ship. It's okay to be like, actually, I'm a grown-up woman, and maybe I need to know some things differently. Mm-hmm. I just try. I just want to give people permission and, like, and encourage them thing. to ask questions and encourage them and to not be afraid if you're afraid to ask then when god actually asks you to do risky things you won't have the foundation to actually trust him yeah right because sometimes god asks us to do really risky vulnerable things and if we're holding back part of our heart then we're not going to be able to walk into all that he has for us mm. Speaking of God asking us to do risky, vulnerable things. <laughs> yeah. You're going to ask me to do something risky. Well, <laughs> he has asked you to do risky and vulnerable things. Um, being part of the theology team at Crew, writing a book, Born Again This Way, about same-sex attraction and coming out of that as a believer in Christ, being married to a man, you're walking on some risky footing here. And, and part of the reason I ask that is, do you ever feel afraid, especially with cancel culture and, and just the way our world is moving? Do you battle fear of, maybe I should back away from this. Like the gospel is one thing, but biblical sexuality is, is kind of walking into a hornet's nest. Actually, you know, the only thing I'm afraid is that I won't be faithful to the end. Mm. Like, if people want to cancel me, <laughs> I hope they cancel me because I'm sharing what Christ shared, not because I'm a jerk, for mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, oh, the world's against me, so I must be with Jesus. Like, actually, you're just a jerk. That's yeah. why people don't like you. <laughs> you're just not likable. You're just not likable. Um, but Jesus moved through his ministry with perfect motivations and perfect execution of his tactics. Mm-hmm. And they murdered him. Mm. I should not expect me, who has mixed motivations and who fails a lot, to be treated any better than Christ was treated. Mm. So I don't think I'm afraid of it. 
I don't want to seek it like, oh, I want to seek yeah. out persecution. But I, I think I've just, as I've watched Christ, I see that the gospel is the aroma of life to some. And it's the aroma of death to some. And that's not in my hands. I want to be as faithful as I possibly can to hold out what I've seen in scriptures. Mm. And I think if my life is hidden in Christ and my conscience is clear before him, then I don't really, I don't have anything to be afraid of. Mm. Rachel, what do you say to Christians who want to cling to the gospel and say like with Paul, like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I don't need to talk about sexuality. Like, um, we can just ignore that topic. And there are churches that are doing this. There are churches that are doing it. Right. And they're saying, hey, you know, we don't want to lose our bridge to the world. And there are individuals who are saying, I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose my job. So I'm just going to stay neutral on these topics. I don't really think we're in a position culturally to stay neutral on the topic of sexuality. It is so important. First of all, it's important because God made us sexual beings. Mm-hmm. So even if we weren't in the culture that we're in, it's important for us to talk about the goodness of our bodies and why God made them the way that he did. But especially because we're in a culture that is deeply confused about sexuality, confused and confusing. Mm-hmm. We're really losing huge opportunity if we bury our head in the sand around sexuality, like we can actually bridge to the gospel through sexuality. I think sometimes people only imagine it as a barrier and there's ways we can talk about it that are a barrier, right? I can think about some easy ways that make it a barrier. You write a, a really particularly offensive sign and show up at certain parades. Great. You've now made biblical or at least a caricature of biblical sexuality into a wall. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be a wall. Mm -hmm. When we're quiet about things, it's sort of like getting a bad splinter in your hand and thinking, well, I don't want to pull it out because that hurts. So I'll just leave it in there. And then it festers and then it infects. And now you've got a big old problem when really what you could have done is just well, you know, it's going to make you feel queasy to grab the tweezers, but just pull the splinter out. Like when things aren't okay around sexuality, we need to bring them to light, mm-hmm. not shove them, let's say shove them in a closet that has its own yeah, yeah, linguistic history, right? So mm-hmm. it, I just don't think we gain anything by hiding it. <laughs> I also don't know how people shy away from it if you're just reading your Bibles, yeah. Like you read, if you're even if you're reading the gospel with your kids or with your coworkers, you're going to come across sexuality all over the place. Mm-hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, it's just all over the pages of the Bible because God cares about us as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. So if we decide to not talk about something that God wants us to hold in our view, we're being stubborn kids. It's a mm-hmm. little bit like how as Americans, we like you hinted at, we have a big problem with talking about money even yeah. though the Bible talks about money all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so it's festering. So it festers. And it's invading our fellowship, and it's yeah. watering down the power of the church and the power of the gospel. We just get this view of like what Christianity is, is this weird, narrow little like, well, as long as I read my Bible and I pray, uh, you know, m- mm-hmm. most days, and I do a lot of the church calendar things, then, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Like God saved us for so much more than those little things. I mean, mm-hmm. I say that as someone who I love my personal times of like reading and prayer, uh, but God saved us for healing and for life Yeah, and that we could be people who transmit healing in life. Mm-hmm. But we can only do that when we talk about the things that God also talks about. Mm-hmm. I know that this is not a one size fits all, but what does that look like? when you have great friends or family members who are fully on board with LGBT agenda, who are living that that kind of life. Yeah. Earlier you talked about that's a break fellowship moment. What does that look like when... But when it's in family, right? It's it's like, do we not invite them over our house for dinner? No, I don't think it's break fellowship. uh, I'm just trying to try to imagine a scenario. Like... If my li- my little brother, and by little I mean he's a foot taller than me, so okay. my younger brother, yes. right? uh, he's not a Christian. Uh-huh. 
and he lives with his girlfriend. Well, actually, they're engaged. Mm -hmm. And they have a great relationship, right? Now, if my brother identifies as a Christian and he was not marrying the woman that he's living with, well, then I would want to talk to my brother and be like, hey, you should marry the girl, right? Mm -hmm. And if he persisted in saying like, no, I think marriage is an outdated thing or whatever. Yeah. I think we would have trouble maybe like doing ministry together. Okay. But he's still my little brother. I'm I'm still going to sit with him at Thanksgiving. So you're not saying break relationship? No. Maybe I should have been more clear about that earlier. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm saying break fellowship, I'm saying we have to recognize that we actually have a very different view on something God calls sin, and we're not going to be able to do gospel partnership in the same way together. Mm-hmm. And when I think about LGBT issues, it comes down to the 18-year-old gay Christian calls you suicidal Mm -hmm. because of shame that they're dealing with, you're going to give them a very different answer if you think that their experience of attraction should be acted on or not acted on. Mm -hmm. That's an extreme example, but there's just, there's totally different ways we minister and care for LGBT people in our midst. Right. Depending on what we go through. Because we view wholeness as different. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and so I don't think we can do fellowship together Mm -hmm. and and like you hinted at, usually what also comes along with it, we end up having really different visions of what the Bible says, but even when it comes to this issue. But if I've got a gay sister, I don't need to break relationship with her. Would you go to the wedding? Well, that's a really important question. I think it really depends. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's family, I think you should go. Mm. But I say that recognizing that our consciences are going to say different things here. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't perform a wedding and I wouldn't stand in the wedding because standing in the wedding is saying like, I'm going to do everything I can to support this marriage mm-hmm. that's happening. If I had a sister who was identifying as a Christian, who's going to marry her girlfriend, I might not go to her wedding. I might not. Mm-hmm. Because what she's saying is that this is a marriage that God performs. Yeah. But if that breaks the relationship for the next several years, too, it's hard. I've got friends who say you always go mm-hmm. because it's worth keeping the relationship. And I see that, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with non-Christians, I feel totally comfortable going. Mm-hmm. Because we're we're talking about a different source of what marriage is anyway. At the end of the day... If I don't feel comfortable going to the wedding, then I should bend over backwards to show that person honor Mm -hmm. and explain to them Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking and to communicate. If they've invited me to their wedding, you know, inviting people to weddings, you're dropping a lot of money to feed someone. You don't invite people to weddings casually. If they're inviting you to a wedding, you are a meaningful part of their life. Mm -hmm. And so if you decide not to go, you need to honor them in return. Mm. and take that really seriously. That's something that I heard from Bill Henson first, Bill Henson, mm-hmm. who leads the Lead Them Home ministry, that I thought, yeah, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Mm. But we need to not judge each other. Yeah. Right? Like, the person whose conscience is weaker and isn't going to go is liable to judge the person who feels free to go. And the person who feels free to go is likely to look down on the person right. who feels hesitant about like going. Even, even the term weaker, you'd argue about well, oh who's conscious. <laughs> we, we won't go there. That's right. <laughs> but but it's, we, we have a tendency, not only is it fraught for us to decide what to do in terms of going, yeah. but then we judge each right. other. You're, you're not as strong of a Christian as I am. Oh, yeah. You're you, compromising with the yeah. world. So I would say if you're someone who feels like I can't go to that wedding, you need to bend over backwards to figure out how you can show love to that person. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who without even a thought is willing to go and is happy to go, well then you probably need to bend over backwards to think this person has a real relationship with me. What does it mean for me to love and leverage that relationship so that I also might have an opportunity to speak truth? Mm. I like that perspective. So no matter where we are, there's opportunity for us to grow and Mm. opportunity for us to honor the other person. Mm. One more question, and I know you're not going to be able to answer this totally on behalf of Crew. Oh, sure. But you are on the theology team on of Crew, yep. and I know that ministries like the Navigators and Varsity Crew have been in the news about how they're going to manage this tension with LGBT 
especially having lots of college kids and just graduated college kids joining staff. Where are you? Again, I know you don't speak for crew, but as a ministry, how are you navigating what life might look like in ministry five or 10 years from now? Well, what I'm excited about as we see young people who are going into ministry is their gen, we're starting to get into Gen Z. Mm -hmm. They just have less of the hangups around sexuality that boomers, Gen X, and millennials do. So I'm seeing actually a freedom to discuss sexuality in a way that's actually can be really healthy. Now, mm-hmm. some of those kids are coming in with some deep wounds because they got attached to pornography really, really young or they came from non-Christian backgrounds. So maybe they were using sexuality in a way that's not healthy. So I'm not saying that they're like perfect when it comes to the topic of sexuality, but I am seeing a different type of strength when it comes to, they're not weirded out Mm -hmm. by LGBT people. Mm -hmm. And so that makes their ability to love LGBT people so much more natural. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real strength when it comes to ministering on the ground. We don't have young ministers who are afraid of gay people. We have young ministers who love gay people. Mm -hmm. We have young, more and more young ministers who identify with that acronym themselves in some way. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm the only campus minister who experiences same-sex attraction, right? We've got tons of people doing, like, working in churches, working in campus ministries who love Jesus, who are thriving in their relationship with the Lord, who experience same-sex attraction, even experience gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of our stories. And so we're able to minister out of that and say, like, maybe I say no to my temptations but I don't have to crush this part of my life. Like, I'm able to just be like, yes, yeah, part of my life. Yeah, if you were ministering 30, 40 years ago, that would have been totally in your past. You could never admit no, that it's still a temptation. Right. I mean, I can still do a whole presentation to Boomer and Gen X people where I'll get a question at the end where they'll ask me, so how did you become straight? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, There's I an assumption. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's easier because I married a man too. So it's, you know, it's easier to make that assumption. Whereas I find it so much easier with younger people. They've just got a lot of space to be like, oh, there's a lot of different life stories and God can intersect all of them. And I think less of a determination, I think a more willingness to see God really cares about empowering us to be faithful. Mm. And every single one of us, can be faithful either in singleness Mm -hmm. or in marriage, faithful marriage between one man and one woman. And I've shared this in other places. Like it turns out you can do either of those by God's power, no matter what your attractional patterns are, you know, so it's now even common to me, younger people talking about gay and lesbians, a little passe and people say like, well, I'm pansexual, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, I'm just attracted to who I'm attracted to. And so, Actually, there's a lot of freedom to be like, right. And so I can experience attractions. And if I'm a disciple of Christ, if I'm attracted to someone who is not my spouse, which if I'm single is everybody, and if I'm married is most everybody, (laughs) (laughs) well, then by the power of the Spirit, I learned to say, uh, how can I honor that person as a brother and sister and actually um, find my security and my intimacy in in the outlets that God has given me? Mm -hmm. Right. And so... I don't know, when I think about the future of ministry in this space, to me, the future looks bright. I think about some of the work I'm doing or people older than me, like when uh, someone needs to come in and clear a forest, Mm -hmm. right? And we're just like chopping trees and taking tree stumps out. But what Gen Z is going to be able to do and the people after them is in that cleared land, they're actually going to be able to plant a garden, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be something beautiful and fruitful there. So I'm excited about what we're going to see down the line in 15 to 20 years. There's questions about gender that we're only beginning to ask that the scriptures have so many resources on. And I'm imagining there's like an eight-year-old girl right now who God is going to raise into a theologian who's going to be able to produce these beautiful, like textual studies, these beautiful helps on the questions of gender and sexuality because she doesn't have these other boulders in her way, right? She's able to 
build on the work that we've done. So it's looking pretty good to me. Well, I'm super grateful for this conversation with Rachel, and I hope that it has given you some food for thought. The truth is that as followers of Christ, each of us has the responsibility to pursue God's truth in every area of our lives, and this includes our sexuality. Knowing what God's Word says is not only vital for us as Christians, but it's also a key part of our witness to those who don't know God. As Rachel said, the topic of sexuality can actually be an opportunity to bridge people to the gospel. So we need to be willing to lean into those conversations. And that starts with knowing what the Bible actually says. If you want to hear more from Rachel, we've linked to another episode that I had with her where she shared her story of meeting Christ. And we've also linked to her website for additional resources that can help you make sense of God's word and what it says about your sexuality. Check out our website, AuthenticIntimacy.com. Well, this was the very last episode in our seven-week series through various themes, questions, and challenges around God's sex and intimacy. As I'm sure you can see, there's a huge wealth of resources available at Authentic Intimacy. And at the heart of this ministry and every resource is the desire to help you as you seek answers to the deep and hard questions you have about God and sexuality. And if you're interested in exploring more of our resources, including our full Java with Julie archive, take a look at our Authentic Intimacy member benefits. Aside from access to that archive, members get to join a larger community of other members who are working through some of the same questions and challenges. You receive discounts on online book studies and online coaching intensive. You gain full access to online webinars and receive member-only free digital resources. Now, if this sounds like it'd be helpful for you, just head to AuthenticIntimacy.com slash member or click the link in our show notes to learn more. That's all I've got for you today, friend, and thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you next time on Job with Julie.